0: So if you have a Bible, Restoration Church, we're Bible people. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, we'll have the words on the screen. And if uh, you'd like a Bible, just slip your hand up. We've got an usher in the back who'd love to come and bring one of these Bibles to you. Uh, as we get there, uh, one of the things I've learned about parenting, we've got one over here, Mike. Um, parenting can sometimes be like the greatest thing ever. Like, like when it goes good, it's like, Wow, this is awesome. In fact, I remember I had a, had a mentor, and, and he said, you know, the, the thing that just makes me in awe of parenting is when my kids are asleep, right? Like, amen there. But he says, it doesn't matter what goes on during the day. It doesn't matter how hard it is. When I walk into my kids' room, and I see them there, sound, asleep, and they're peaceful, and they're, 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 it's, it's an amazing experience to see your kids just in that setting. Think about, think about those times when kids, like, they, they do something right, like, unprovoked. Like, they just, they, they, they put something together. And as a parent, like, yes, yes, this is awesome. I love seeing my care parents, or seeing my kids do this. But on the flip side, sometimes parenting can be hard. There can be difficulty in parenting. In fact, Mark Twain had some advice. Uh, when you get to the point of having teenagers... Sometimes I think toddlers and teenagers, they kind of go hand in hand. But this is Mark Twain's advice on having a teenager. He says, when they are 13, put them in a barrel and nail the lid shut and feed them through the knot hole. It's Mark Twain's advice. But it gets better because he says this, he he adds and says, when they are 16, just plug the knot hole, right? Sometimes we wish we could actually do that. But one of the things, you know, my wife and I, we've got five kids. We've got the Fab fab Five is what we call them. We've got Cameron is 14. Uh, Jackson is 12. Hudson, this is a test for myself. Hudson is is 10. Ava is 8. And Oliver is 6. I got them right. They're two years apart. That makes it easy on me. And, uh, you know, I love, I love being a dad. There's, there's a lot of things that, you know, I love. I love being a pastor of this church. But let me just be honest with you. My first responsibility is my family. And that gives me the greatest joy. I love being the pastor of this church. And I'm so excited to be here. Uh, but man, these kids, uh, my family, I, I love it. And one of the things we've learned with kids is they depend on you for everything. And so these kids, you have these kids, and they depend on you to, for everything. So, for example, kids depend on you to teach them essential skills, like things they have to learn. And so my, my son Cameron was five or six years old, and, and, he, and I said, you know, it's about time you learn how to catch a baseball. So, so I get the baseball and the baseball gloves, and my wife's like, hey, be careful. What could go wrong, right? So we're in the backyard, and, and I'm tossing some underhand tosses, and he's catching them. He's like, Dad, come on, throw it throw it hard. Throw overhand. I'm like, okay, I guess you ready. So I start throwing overhand, and, and he's catching them and, and getting close. And he's like, Dad, throw harder, Dad. You can throw harder. So I throw again, and, and he, you know, Dad, come on. So I take one, and I throw it. And the glove just doesn't quite get up high enough. And it bounces off the glove and hits him right in the forehead, okay? Now, it hits him so good, he starts crying and comes running in. And my wife's like, what'd you do? I'm like, we're just playing catch. She goes, I know, but the stitching is stuck in his forehead. Like, you could see it was a Rawlings baseball on the top of his forehead. It said Rawlings. (laughs) Parents, kids, kids need, need us to teach them important skills. Kids also, they depend on us. They depend on us to be there for them, to not lead them astray, to, to lead them on the right path. And so uh, another time we went to Thompson's Farm out in Natchez and did the corn maze with our kids. And Jackson must have been, I don't know, four or five years old. And, um, and so he's, we're, we're going through the corn maze and it's during the daytime. And, and, you know, the kids are broken up with their cousins and different groups. And Jackson's like, come on, dad, we got to win. And I'm like, yes, we do, buddy. Good, we got to win. And so we're going through and I don't remember if he was like, dad, you're going too slow. Or maybe it was me, Jackson, you're going too slow. And so either way, one of us went ahead of the other one and and went around the corner. And and, and I assume Jackson was like right before me or right behind me. And I don't know where he was. I was just going to find my way through the end of it. And all of a sudden I hear his little voice, dad, dad. And then I hear hear him crying. Dad, where are you, Dad? And I'm at the end, and I'm hearing him crying, and I, so I start running through this thing, trying to find him, and he's crying, and my wife's crying as well, and she's, go, go, what you do? And so I'm having to chase through this thing, and, and you know, kids depend on you to, to lead them in the right direction. Uh, another time, huh, another time, Cameron was like two years old. I'm, this is like my parenting fails, so uh, this is counseling for myself. Cameron was like two years old, and he got really sick, He got really sick, and so Sam took him into the doctor, and doctor said, here's what you need to do, and so she goes home, and a couple days later, he's still really sick, he's still throwing up and whatever else, and so she goes back into the doctor's office for another visit, and uh, Jackson was a baby at the time, so she's got a toddler who's sick, and when toddlers are sick, they're very clingy to mom, and you don't know, want to stay right there, she's got the baby as well, and so It's a pretty good feat to get both those kids to a doctor's office twice in a week. Like, that's, like, hats off for that, right? And so, she gets to the doctor's office and she gets into the exam room and she's waiting for the doctor to come in and Cameron's clingy and all of a sudden the baby projectile vomits. Like, like, it was like a sprinkler, like, all across the room and uh, the doctor was outside, like, filling out the chart from the last patient. And, and he's like, dude, Mount St hell just erupted in that room. What's going on? And so Sam's trying to strip the baby of his, uh, his uh, throw-up clothes and put him in a bag. And, and she goes, in. and we had one cell phone at this time. And so this was back, you know, cell phones. And so I had the cell phone, and I was at work. And she, she takes the naked baby in just a diaper who's throwing up to the receptionist's office and starts calling me on my cell phone. And I'm at work, and I'm busy. I don't know what I was doing, doing something. I didn't answer the phone. And so she's like, oh, what am I going to do? I've got this whole mess of a situation going on. I've got two sick kids, a sick baby. And, um, man, kids, kids depend on us to, to do well. And wives depend on us to answer our cell phones. Like, isn't that the truth? And so the idea is that kids, as they're growing up, they depend on us. They depend on us uh, for a variety of, of things. And, and that's good. But parents, I want us to understand your responsibility. Okay, I want you to understand your responsibility because remember, if we focus on our responsibilities, I believe that God would bless us as opposed to focusing on our rights. So parents, I want you to write this down. Here's, here's your responsibility, okay? Your responsibility is to gradually transfer dependence away from us until your kid's dependence rests solely on God. Because as your kids are young, as they're growing, they do. They put their dependence on you. They depend on you for these certain things. And we have to continually, uh, gradually train our kids to no longer depend on us, to depend solely on God. We have, to, we have to help. We have to, even for some parents, we have to be willing. We have to be willing to transfer our kids' dependence off of ourselves on to the only one who's going to be ever completely faithful and true in every way. We have to teach them to depend on God. And you say, well, where does this idea come from? It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me pray before we jump in. God, we're thankful for the opportunity to be gathered in your house today. Thankful for the opportunity to open up your word. And God, I pray as we look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that God, you would help us to understand what our responsibilities are as leaders, as parents, as uh, as Christians, God, I pray that you would uh, would speak to us now, God. I pray that you would bless our relationships, that you would bless our mess, that God, you would give parents this tools to be successful, to to teach your ki- teach our kids to no longer depend on us, but to depend on you, God. Thank you for this time together, Jesus, and uh, we ask this in your name, Amen. So a little little context for you in Deuteronomy chapter five. Moses gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments. This is like the big ten. Like, this is how you're supposed to love God. This is how you're supposed to obey God and and live for God. And so, in response to Deuteronomy chapter 5, where he gave the commandments, Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 6 starts out like this in verse 1. And says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Moses is saying, hey, those Ten Commandments, God has commanded me to teach them to you. And I've done that. And this is what he says next he says that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess them. He says, I want you not just to learn these commands but to to put them into practice, okay and you do them so that in verse two that you may fear the Lord your God okay you you learn these rules, you learn about God, you put them into practice so that you would fear the Lord your God and not only you but who else it says it says and your son, and who else, and your son's sons, that they would all fear the Lord your God by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. What Moses is saying is as we teach our kids to to fear the Lord, to follow his commands, see, not only are we changed by that, but Moses says that Generation after generation will be changed if we as parents would do this. If we as parents would train our kids to fear the Lord, to obey His commands, that that we would help our kids to depend not on ourselves and not on the things that we, we see, but we would teach our kids to depend on the God who created everything. Parents, do you realize that you have the power to influence generations to come. You have the ability to change generations to come through how you parent your kids. And I'm, I don't care what kind of background you come from. I don't care if you say, well, well, you haven't seen my family tree. My family tree is full of brokenness and, and, and there's no way God could do anything with my background. Listen, God would say to you that you have the ability to change generations. Plural to leave a legacy, plural. If we would teach our kids to fear the Lord, to obey his commands. If we would teach our kids not to depend on anything in this world, but to depend on God alone. You say, well, how, how do we do that? And this is where we look at the rest of Deuteronomy chapter 6, our text today. And there's two simple ways that, that, that we can find in Deuteronomy chapter 6 for how we as parents, how we live out this responsibility To train our kids to depend on God alone. The first thing that we're going to learn from Deuteronomy chapter 6. First way that we teach our kids to depend on God alone. Is that we as parents, we must love God wholeheartedly. Ourselves. Okay? Verse verse 4 of our text. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a super important statement. For for Jews in those days, this was a statement that they would repeat three times a day. They'd repeat it morning, noon, and night. Hear, O Israel, listen. Pay attention. This is important. The Lord, our God, is one. Because they lived in a day of uh, of, of uh, polytheism. Meaning that there was, there was many gods. There was many things that they could pursue to have their dependence on. There's many things that they could pursue and chase. And what... Moses is saying, listen, listen, there's only one God. There's only one thing that we need to put our complete dependence on. And he, that's the Lord, our God. He is one God. He is not just a God. He is the God, the one true God. There is no other like him. And he says in verse 5, in response to that, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your, what's that word? With all of your heart. And with all of your, what's that next word? Soul. And with all of your, what's that last word? Might. That we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. What, what, what Moses is talking about is that we would love God with, with our entire being, with all of us. Not just a part of us, but every part of us would be fully committed, fully dependent upon God. So I want to just ask for you just to think about this and think honestly, think honestly, okay? Are you loving God with all of your heart? Or maybe are you loving God with just a little bit of, little bit of your heart? Are you loving God with all of your life? Or are you just giving a little bit of your life to God and saying that's all you can have? Because I think if we're going to be honest, I think there'd be many of us in here, oftentimes myself, who would say, man, I'm loving God with just a little bit of myself, just a little bit of my life. I haven't given everything over fully to God. And listen, if we live that way, that is, what, that is one of the most dangerous things that we can do, is to expose our kids to just a little bit of God, just a little bit of dependence on God, okay? It's one of the most dangerous things that we can do. Let me, let me help show you what I mean by this. When you go get a flu shot, like flu shot, that's like a little bit of flu you get in you when it, when it goes in, right, doctor? Like that's what it is, okay? You go get a flu shot. Now, I hate getting the needles. Like I don't look when they put the needle in my arm. Like I turn away because I'm just not a needle, needle person. Uh, but, you know, I know it's, it's important for you. So, when you get the flu shot, they take that, that flu virus and they put a little bit inside of you, and what happens is you become immune to that flu. Okay? You become immune to the whole thing. And listen, I would argue to you today that parents, when you give little bits of yourself to God, when you give your kids little bits of God, I think you're actually making them immune. To the entire goodness, to the entire glory, to the power, to the majesty of who God really is. This is where we we, we settle on our kids, just knowing a little bit about God, but never really knowing God personally and, and, and intimately in a, in a life-changing way. Because when you know God intimately, when you have an intimate relationship with Him, it is life-changing. It is completely life-changing, And my fear is, is that when parents only love God with a little bit of themselves, we're making our kids immune to what the power of the gospel really is, to what the power of a relationship with God is all about. Listen, I get it. Parents, like we have all these things that we want for our kids, like, parents, we have all these goals. And, 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 you know, you might think, you know, I was in the situation where you don't have much growing up. You kind of have a rough background. And so sometimes for parents, your goal becomes, I just want to give my kids all the things I didn't have growing up. I want to give my kids the, the security and the experiences that I never had growing up. And so that becomes your goal, is you want to give your kids that good childhood. Maybe for parents, maybe you think, you know, I want my kids to have the best education and that becomes your, your goal. This becomes a motivating factor as a parent is that they get this best education. Maybe, maybe as a parent, maybe you want them to have uh, the, the, the opportunities. You want them to have the experiences. And so you put them in, in all the sports and you put them in all the activities and, and you dress them up and you, and you do all these things and, and, and baseball and gym and, and music and all these things and you fill their schedules. And, and the question for you is you have to decide what is going to be ultimate for your kids. Is it going to be having all that stuff? Having all those experiences? having that education, having those opportunities? Or are you going to let God be ultimate in your kids' lives? Because ultimately, all those other things, all those experiences, all that education, um, all those opportunities, those things fall away. That's what this world does. It falls away. Only God will withstand. Parents, it is so important that you and I love God wholeheartedly. Because what we do is what we do is we transmit what we treasure. Okay, we, we transmit what we treasure. So so here's how that plays out. I'm I'm from the northwest, so I, I'm a Seattle sports fan, right? Like if you're from the northwest and you love Jesus, you're a Seattle sports fan. That's just the way you're raised, right? Okay. Now if you're from if you're from San Francisco, I'll give the San Francisco. Uh, you know, if you're from San Francisco, I would expect that you are a San Francisco sports fan. That's fine. But like if you're from the Northwest, you know, chances are you love the the Northwest sports, the Northwest teams. And so as a Seahawks fan, as a Mariners fan, you know, one of my responsibilities as a parent is to teach my kids to love these teams. Like, I'm parenting right. I'm teaching them to love these teams. And so I love it. I love watching my kids because they've, they've grown up and they've watched me be interested in sports and, and follow what's happening. And so it's fun. My kids have, have grown up and they, they enjoy these sorts of things. And so we love to talk about the players. We love to talk about, um, about you know, trading cards. We, we get the trading cards and the kids trade them with each other. And they try and trade the really bad players to their little brother who doesn't quite know anybody yet. And, uh, and this is what we're, 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 we're passionate about. And, uh, you know, then Mariner season starts up, you know, and I'm I, like, every season it's like, this is our year, right? I mean, it's probably not, but like, we still have faith, right? Like, amen? Anybody? <laughs> Seahawks is our favorite. We, we, are, we are diehard Seahawks fans. But listen, the idea of this, you know why my kids began to like these sports and these teams? They come from, it comes from me. Because you transmit what you treasure. And so maybe for you, maybe you're like, man, I don't care about sports. But what is it that you care about? Is it music? Is it, is it, are you into guns? Are you into hunting? Are you into cars and, and doing stuff with cars? Maybe you're into electronics. Maybe, maybe, maybe like you're into your college and you bleed like purple and gold, right? Or maybe you bleed crimson, like, like, like we have these things that we treasure as parents and often what happens is that gets transmitted to our kids because they see what we treasure and they take that on. We transmit what we treasure. And this is true about God. You transmit what you treasure. Now I know, I know there are some parents in here that'll say, well, I don't want to transmit. I don't want to push anything onto my kids. I want them to, to figure it on their own. I want them to be their own person. Listen, listen. You are the only person who is trying not to push something onto your kids. You're the only one because everybody else has an agenda. Everybody else is trying to push something onto your kids. Like, I don't care what school you send your kids to. They're trying to push something onto your kids. Just the reality of it. You look at the media. The media is trying to push something onto your kids. Entertainment is trying to push something onto your kids. So if you say, I'm going to stand back and I'm going to be neutral and let them figure it out on their own, that's, that's living in denial. That's living in a very foolishness, a foolish state of mind. Man, even, even Jesus, even Jesus, he pushed something onto us. He gave us an agenda. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, this is what we're supposed to do. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations teaching, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to preserve all that I have commanded you to do. This is what Jesus is. He gave us an agenda and said, I'm pushing this on to you. You go now and do this. And parents, you and I will transmit what we treasure. And so you start thinking of all those things that you treasure. You treasure the purple and gold. Maybe if you're a farmer, you treasure the crimson. I don't know how that works out. You treasure the sports teams. You treasure the education. You treasure the music. You treasure the hunting, whatever it is. You're transmitting that to your kids. The question are you transmitting the most important things to them? It's not enough to have a little bit of your heart sold out after God. It's not enough even just to agree and say God is most important. It's not enough just to confess, God, we need you. Our kids need to see our actions because they will see what we treasure. And, and, and our actions show what we treasure. Because our kids our kids will read us better than anybody. Right, don't, don't, I mean, don't, don't kid yourself on this. Your kids will read you better than anybody else. Start thinking about church. Start thinking about church involvement. Like, how many times as parents do we, we, we wake up And say, man, it's been a long week. Man, it's, you know, I'd love to stay home today. Love to, you know, go up to the lake. Love to do that. Your kids read that. They pick up on that and realize, hey, this church thing, which is probably the most visible expression of our faith. It's really not that important to mom and dad, mom and dad, because they have all these other things that they treasure just a little bit more. So sure, that church thing is is there, but maybe it's not the treasure for me. Maybe it's not the treasure for mom and dad. And that becomes the attitude that you transmit to your kids. And they pick up on that. They feed onto that. It speaks something to your kids. And not not just attending church. We're not talking about spectator. But but are you actively involved in the body of Christ? I mean, I told you in the beginning, this is a family right here. This is a family right here. And quite frankly, man, I'm, I, I kind of miss seeing you guys on our family gatherings. Kind of miss seeing some of you because this is what we are. We're a family. We, we belong together. We're supposed to be together. Listen, there's a study that was done a number of years ago that, that looked and said for for parents, if they're involved in church, what is the percentages? What is the chance that their kids, as they grow up into adults, will attend church themselves? Okay? Listen, if both mom and dad go to church, both mom and dad go to church, their kids, 72% of their kids, when they grow up to an adult, will be actively involved in their church as an adult. Okay? But listen, listen, catch this. Okay? If mom goes alone, if just mom goes to church, dad doesn't go to church, that percentage drops to 50 of kids that grow up with just mom going to church will go to church when they're an adult. Dads, dads alone, mom doesn't go to church, dad goes alone. That jumps back up to 55%. Dads, don't underestimate your influence that you have on your kids. And listen, if if neither mom or dad make church a priority, 6% of those kids will grow up as an adult in church the church. Let that just sink in about the opportunity we have to raise our kids. About how we first have to be sold out to God wholeheartedly because we set the example for our children. I mean, again, just just think about this practically. Just really practically on on how sold out, how do you love God with all your might, with all your soul, with all your strength. Think about your day. Think about your day. Now, this is hard, but this is probably what I need to hear today. Because imagine this. What does your day say about your heart? Like, what if, what if, what if I followed you along? What if, what if one of our elders followed you around for an entire day, for an entire week? What if we followed you around for an entire week? What would that say about what you treasure? What would that say about your heart? What are the TV shows that you're watching? What would that say about your heart? What, what, what are the what are the websites that you're on your phone? What are the apps that you most use on your phone? What What's the magazine that you have on the coffee table? Or if your wife lets you, what's the magazine that you have on the side of the toilet when you're doing your, your reading there? Some of you do that. What are the things that you laugh at? What does your spending say about your heart? Because listen, I'm not going to follow you around for a whole day. I'm not going to spend a whole week with you, but your kids will spend all of that time with you. And they will see how you spend your time. They will see the things that you watch. They'll see the things that you read. They'll see the things that you spend your money on. Listen, that half-heartedness doesn't work because your kids will see right through it. Listen, the absolute most important thing that you and I can do for our kids to teach them to have a dependence on God is that we ourselves would wholeheartedly love God and wholeheartedly depend on him ourselves, that we would set the example of what it means to love God and to follow after him. Don't miss that, parents. That's the first and foremost and foundation for everything else. Second responsibility that parents have to focus on is that we must intentionally lead our families. This is what it says back in our text, verse 6. He says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay, they're supposed to be there. And here's what you're supposed to do with them. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents, you and I are called to lead our families spiritually in an intentional way. Edward, who was the Duke of Windsor, he said this about America, and I think it's fitting. He says, the thing that impresses me about America is the way that parents obey their children. Parents, are you leading your your kids? Are you leading your family or are your kids leading you? Think about this. Think about how it really plays out. You are the leader. You have the command by God to lead your family spiritually. You set the tone. This was, how, how do we do this? And Moses said very specifically, I get the picture when I read this, I get the picture that Moses is giving of kind of like a sculptor. You know, like a sculptor, they're going to take this piece of stone or this piece of clay or the piece of marble, whatever it is, and they're going to etch into it. They're going to bring this this rock, this stone into shape and create detail within this stone. Listen, a sculptor, they don't do that by chance. It's not by accident. It's not like they just walk by and boom, there's a wonderful uh, sculpture that they've created. No, it takes intentionality. And leading our families requires that same intentionality. There has to be a a purpose, a a design, a focus, an attention on us leading our families. This is a concerted effort, concerted effort, consideration of how parents should shape and invest. Second thing you see from this is, is leading your family is a constant thing. And this is what This is what he's talking about when he says, uh, when you sit in your house, this means when when you're inactive, when you're hanging around, when you're just sitting around the house, you have to be intentional parents to lead in those times. He also says, when you walk by the way, this is when you're active. This is when you're out and about. This is when you're in the car. This is when you're going from here to there. You have parents have to be intentional to lead in those times. He says, when you lie down and when you rise, this carries the idea of both day and night. Parents, we have to lead our families in the morning and in the daytime and at the nighttime. And all those times together, the gospel has got to be the center of our life and of our labor. And something, something is just worth noting. What Moses is talking about here. He's not talking about what happens at the synagogue. He's not talking about what happens at the temple. He's not talking about what happens here on a Sunday morning. Like, yes, allow Sunday morning to be a part of the way that you lead your family. But it's not just that. Moses is talking about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Intentionally leading our families spiritually. And we start thinking about our youth leaders here at Restoration Church. I see Neil and, and Zach and Malia. And these people that are investing in our kids, our, our Sunday school teachers in the back that invest in those kids. Listen, I'm thankful for every one of those people that serves with our young people. And they have a huge voice. Listen, their voice, their voice in no way trumps your voice. You have the greatest voice into your kids. And our leaders are to be assets to you. They're to support you. I hope that I'm an asset to you, that I can support you in your role of leading your family. Day in and day out. This is the same principle that applies to all relationships with all people. You think about relationships in, in, in your own life. You think about relationships at work. You think about relationships in your extended family. All works the same way. You invest in them. You have the opportunity to invest time and energy into them. And that's when you're going to see the difference. Going to see the difference. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just encourage you with a few practical ideas, a few practical ways on how you can lead your family spiritually. These are Some of these are things that Samantha and I have done or do. These are other things that we've picked up from other people that we've thought we want to be able to do this. But I just want to encourage you, as you have this responsibility, you need to be faithful to how God has has commanded you to spiritually lead your family. These are things that we've done. These are not things you have to do, but I just want to encourage you. Think about how you are to lead your family. Just very practical ways. First, first thing that I, uh, Samantha and I have tried to do is we tried to spiritualize everything. Try to spiritualize everything. We want, we want spirituality and God to be normal. And so when we're going through the normal course of our day, I want to find the opportunity to say, hey, what a beautiful day it is today. Isn't it great that God gave us this beautiful weather? Isn't it great that God gave uh, the Yakima Valley these four seasons where you're going to see the beauty of God's create, creation all around us? I want that to be a normal part of our talk. When our, when our kids play baseball, when the, we had a baseball, I think we had seven baseball games this week. It was crazy. But listen, when my kids are playing a baseball game and they make a good play, I want to encourage them, man, isn't it great that God gave you that ability to make that play, to make that hit, to do that thing? Because I want God to be a part of their daily life. I want them to understand God has an impact in all of these things. And the same thing when our kids drop the ball, when they strike out, But isn't it great that God still loves you? Isn't it great that God's grace is still there with you? Because I want them to understand that, that God is not just what we do on Sunday, but God is a part of everything in our lives. Think about going through with your kids and seeing people who are doing things they shouldn't be doing, misbehaving, doing dumb things. And that's an opportunity to talk about the gospel and the need for us to be missionaries and say, man, look at that person. Look where they're at, man. That person, man, wouldn't it be great if somebody came and shared Jesus with them and their lives are transformed by Jesus. We want to continue to have spiritual conversations in the midst of everyday life. Second thing that we've tried to do is we've tried to make a priority to pray with our kids every day. This is super important. Teach our kids about the power of prayer. Prayer. So actually, as we started looking at uh, school and and how we're doing school, we kind of shifted my schedule. I've shifted my schedule. I have to work later in the day. But I've made a priority where I want to take my kids to school every morning. So most mornings, that's my responsibility. I take the kids, I drop them off. And every morning on the way to school, we pray. Every single morning. God, would you help the kids to be leaders in their school? God, would you help Jackson with his test today? God, would you help Ava at recess? God, would you help Oliver to, to understand his his reading and the things that he's learning? We start thinking about what are some other prayer requests that we have? And, and the kids say, well, there's an earthquake in Japan. Well, great, let's pray for the people of Japan. There's an earthquake here and there's this thing happening there. Great, let's pray for these things because I want to make it a priority for my kids to understand the power of prayer. And so we, we make that uh, priority. Get a priority. Got a Third thing that we've done is we've, we've learned how to redeem bedtime. Like bedtime is, is, sometimes you get to the end of the day and you're like, please just go to bed. Like, like seriously, like, like just brush your teeth and go. And you wish you could put the kids, they, they would just put themselves to bed. But listen, putting our kids to bed is such a neat thing. And we've done a couple different things throughout, the, throughout our, our parenting. Um, we have, uh, easiest thing for you to do is it's on your phone. You, you, can, you can not pay attention to me for a minute. Download the, the Bible app for kids. Okay, if you've got young kids at home, like the Bible app for kids is such a good, tremendous job of taking the story, the, the God's story, taking God's word, putting it in a story form, uh, uh, cartoon friendly for kids just to read through. And our kids, they, they, they love it. I think there's probably 30 different stories now, 35 different animated stories in the, the Bible app for kids. And my kids, man, the nights that we do that, they're so excited. Yeah, yeah, we're excited, we're excited. We've done uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. We've sold that here uh, at Restoration Church. If you want to pick one of those up, I'd re- highly recommend it because it takes all those Bible stories that we love as kids. We love hearing about Noah and the ark, and we love hearing about David and Goliath. And, and all of these stories, they bring it back to how they relate to Jesus. Say, hey, all of the, the stories that we love, they all point to Jesus. And so we love to take that and read that with the kids. We don't read those every night, but we try and make it a priority. And the other thing that we do every single night is we pray with our kids before bed. It's one of the things they won't go to bed until mom and dad comes and prays with them. Now, it's harder. The the tricky thing is, now that our kids are getting older, sometimes they stay up longer than we do. And we're like, oh man, how's that work? But man, that bedtime is a priority for us. And we want to make sure we have the opportunity to pray with our kids. The other thing we'd encourage that that we've done is we've tried to redeem our meal times. You know, the times we sit down as a family. Now, we live in the same state everybody else lives in. It's hard to find time when everybody's home and everybody's together to have a nice meal. You know, we, we, we had this, I don't think we had a meal together this past week because of baseball and all these other things going on. But, but one of the things when we do have that meal together and we're sitting down at the table, my wife picked up these conversation cards And these are just uh, questions that go anywhere. And and it gets us to where we're taking our mealtime and saying, hey, let's let's not just, you know, eat dinner with the TV on, or let's not just eat dinner and and, and not really, let's be intentional with what we're doing during mealtime. And let's have these questions that we're going to talk through. Let's have some dialogue. Let's have the kids ask, hey, what are you hearing on the news? What are you hearing on, on the radio? What are the things you're hearing from your friends? Let's, let's talk about these things together. And let's take our meal time and redeem it. To say this is an opportunity to discuss how things are and where things are going. Fifth thing, my wife does this a lot better than I do. Is She, redeems, uh, she takes the advantage of doing date nights with our kids takes them out one-on-one, and just has the opportunity to connect with them relationally, to, to connect with them and say, hey, where are you at? How are things going? How can I encourage you? And for our kids, the greatest thing is that that, that creates this trust within our kids, that they trust mom. They, they know that mom cares about them. They know that mom cares where they are. And so finding those opportunities to say, I'm going I'm to have those one-on-one dates with my kids where I can just get heart-to-heart with them and connect with them on that level. Sixth thing we do, maybe it should have been the first thing we talked about, is we have learned how to set standards for our kids. Now, we live in a day and age where, where people do all sorts of stuff. And, and you hear this, our kids will say, well, 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 everybody else does it. Everybody else does this. Everybody else watches this. Everybody listens to this. Why can't we do it too? And listen, this is where we have to ask, who is leading? Are you leading your kids or are your kids leading you? Okay. And so Samantha and I have learned we've got to, we've got to do a good job at, at, at setting the standards about what is allowed to come into our home, what kind of media we allow. You know, and, and, and you might say, you know, we, maybe you've heard this story. Maybe you've heard the story where, where there's a kid and he says, hey, mom, I want to go see this movie. All my friends are doing it. All my friends are going to this movie, mom. And, and, and it, you know, there's only one bad part. There's only one bad part. The rest of it's okay, mom. So can I go? And, and mom says, sure, you can go. But before you do that, I want you to help me make some brownies and, and, and eat, eat some brownies before you go. And the kid's like, sweet. That sounds like a sweet deal. So, starts baking the brownie, starts getting the batter ready, and mom says, Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go outside, I need you to get, uh, uh, one of the, um, um, logs of dog poop. Okay, just go get a log of dog poop. And I know some of you are cat people, go into the kitty box and get, get a log of kitty litter, whatever's in there. And, and I want you to bring that in. And, and kids like, whoa, 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 okay. And so mom says, All right, now I want you to cut a piece of that off and put that into our mix. And, and kids like, No way! It's like, come on, just, just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Mix it all up. And then we'll bake it. I mean, just a little bit, right? It's just a little bit. We could just, we don't have to do the whole log. Just a little, little slice of it and mix it all up. It's this idea. We have to, we have to set the standards for our kids about what we allow our kids to have to influence on them. And so we've done this in a couple different ways. We, you know, we, we, we've controlled how they, you know, we all have the smartphones and the tablets. And our kids have done that too. But we've set some standards. We don't allow those in our bedrooms. We just want our kids to understand. We want to have accountability. We want to make sure. And that's just one of the things. Not everybody does that. But we want to set some standards as to we want things to be out in the open to understand how they're doing. it. my wife is much better at me, but she she filters stuff. And so when the kids say, hey, can I watch this? Can I can I go do this? My wife's like, hey, let me pull it up. I've got a couple apps that I check on. And she she does a really good job at filtering and determining, hey, what the kids want to watch. Is it really appropriate? Is it age appropriate? Is it, is it OK for them to to be there? One of the other th- standards that we've done is, is kind of looking at Christmas time. And, and again, this, is, this all comes to my wife because she's, like I said, she's, uh, she's probably a lot better than I am. And, and Christmas time, we, we, we all, I don't know if you ever deal with this, but, you know, we look around at Christmas and everything is all about the gifts. You know, it's all about the gifts. And so, sure, we, we go to church and uh, we might read the, the Christmas story, but the kids, they can't wait to get done with the Christmas story because they see all those presents under the tree. And, uh, you know, I don't know what it looks like in your house, but some houses it's like, man, you're opening presents for like two hours and there's like, you know, a billion gifts under there for the kids. And so my wife did this thing uh, several years ago and she said, we're we're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to get the 15,000 gifts and put them under the tree. She said, we're going to get three gifts. Kids are going to get three gifts that represent gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so the gold is something you want, something special. The frankincense is something personal. Is that what that one is? Something personal for them, uh, a personal item. And then uh, the myrrh is something spiritual. And so for a couple of years, this is what happened. And we've evolved that a little bit. And now we've added a fourth. And so our kids get four, maybe five gifts. But this is a way that we're looking and saying Christmas time. And it's supposed to be about the birth of Jesus. And we want to make sure that we have that conversation. Our kids understand Christmas. is not about the Christmas tree and what's underneath it. And, and, you know, we would say, well, we want our kids to be happy. Yeah, you do want your kids to be happy, but what's more important, your kids being happy with all the stuff under the tree or your kids knowing who Jesus is. So you have to look at that and say, I'm going to set the standard and I'm going to say, I'm, going to, I'm not going to do the big Christmas thing. I'm going to focus. And we're You know, we'll do some of the gift stuff, but we're going to prioritize that it's all about Jesus. Last area that I want to encourage you in is uh, to redeem discipline. I mean, anybody anybody ever have to discipline your kids? Okay, there's like three hands that went up. Listen, if you don't discipline your kids, I want to know what you're doing, like how you get your kids to behave like that. Send me an email of what you're doing because I'd love to to put that into practice and, and try that. Listen, discipline sometimes is like this everyday occurrence. But listen, discipline is an opportunity for the gospel. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's an opportunity for the gospel because sometimes like the kids will, you know, they'll leave their clothes on the ground in their bedroom. And, and I'm like, man, if you leave your clothes on the ground again, I'm, I'm getting rid of all your clothes. And so we make these like, like accusations and threats that we'll never carry out. And so, you know, then the next time they come in, the clothes on the ground oh, your clothes are on the ground. I'm going to sell them. But no, I'm going to give you grace today. I'm going to give you grace and I'm not going to sell your clothes. I've I've done that a few times. You know, I've been known for that. But also, you know, in that discipline process is an opportunity to teach our kids about repentance, to help our kids understand what sin is, to help them understand that we are sinners that, that, when we, that when we hit our brother and sister, and when we do these things, that we are... Uh, it's because we have a broken and sinful heart. And in response to us having a broken and sinful heart, Jesus sent his son, God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sin. To take our punishment that we deserve. And in response to that, God says, we want you to say, I'm sorry, and seek forgiveness, and seek his grace. And so we teach our kids that process that when you've wronged somebody, you say you're sorry, you seek repentance, you seek forgiveness, and this is a way that we're incorporating the gospel into our discipline. This is just a, a powerful way for us to do. And parents, don't underestimate the opportunity you have to repent before your kids. I'm I'm great at this. I'm great at blowing up in ways I shouldn't, and then coming back. Hey guys. Hey, 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 man, I'm sorry. I was wrong for that. I was wrong for the way I talked to you. I was wrong for the way that my voice raised. I'm sorry that I did that, man. Because I want my kids to understand I'm in that same spot. I still need repentance. I still need to uh, grow in in my grace and grow in the gospel. And the gospel applies to me just as much as it does to them. Listen, kind of a weird message for us today, but uh, Restoration Church, I want you to know that, that we are Committed to partnering with you as you lead your families to know Christ and to make Christ known. But it's your job. It is absolutely your job. And listen, you'll be successful in that job, not if you expose your kids to all of the activities, not if you give them all the opportunities, uh, not if you give them all the things that you never had growing up. No, all of that will fade away. You'll be successful. In raising kids and raising your families to know Christ and make Christ known by exposing the great truths about God. By teaching his power and his goodness and his grace. Teaching your kids the power of prayer and the truth of his word and the filling of his Holy Spirit. Parents, our responsibility is that we would transfer the dependence, our kids' dependence on us, to our kids being fully dependent someday down the road on God. And how do you do that? Parents, first, you love God with all your heart. And secondly, you intentionally lead your families. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for your presence being with us today. I want to thank you for meeting us here today. God, thank you for the ways that you have challenged to us. God, thank you for the ways that you have spoken to us. God, I pray that you would speak even now, God, in a life-changing way as we have the opportunity just to reflect on God's word today, God, I think about, I, think, I want you to think about your own leadership, your own influence that you have. Maybe you don't have kids, but are, you, are we spiritually leading our friends? Or are our friends leading us? Are we leading our family members, our brothers, our sisters, our moms and dads, our extended family, our kids at school? Listen, are you a spiritual leader? Parents, how is your spiritual leadership? Think about my own life. I know that God has called me to lead my families, to lead my family. And I know sometimes I miss the boat. I don't lead like I'm supposed to. is Listen, anyone else in here today that would say, that's me. That's me. I know I'm called to lead, but I don't lead the ways I should. Listen, if that's you today, listen, would you just pray and say, God, God, help me to be a better spiritual leader. God, overwhelm me with your love. That spiritual leadership would be the natural reflection of what you are doing inside of my heart, inside of my life. God, help me to experience the power of the gospel, the power of your spirit, that God, our, our leadership would flow out of, the pre, out of your presence in our lives. God, thinking about those here today, those who have settled on a little bit of God in their life, God help us to understand that you want to be our whole life that God you want to be our everything that you would that you became one of us through Jesus to reveal the heart of God that Jesus came as a sinless son of God and he shed his innocent blood so we could not only be forgiven but that we could know God intimately and it is through that intimate relationship that God can change our minds can change our actions can change our heart, can change our values, God, that you can change our lives. So God, for those who've been in that spot of just giving a little bit to God, given halfway to God, given three quarters to God, God, I pray that today that they would be settled, that today they would say no more, no more games, no more half-heartedness, but today, Jesus, I'm giving you all of my life. Today, Jesus, would you save me? Today, Jesus, would you change me? Would you forgive me, God? Today, I surrender my life to you, every bit of me now. God, I thank you for meeting us here today. I thank you for your presence on us. I pray, God, that we would understand our responsibilities to be spiritual leaders of those who we're placed with influence on, that we would set the example of how to love you with a whole heart that we would look for those opportunities to intentionally lead. God, I pray for families in here today. I pray for parents especially. God, that you would encourage them and motivate them to step into their God-given responsibilities. Jesus, we ask this blessing in our time of response now. In your holy and precious name.